Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. All right, RJ, we are one week closer to the beginning of training camp, to the beginning of preseason, and of course, beginning of the second ever Seattle Kraken season. Uh, the the excitement is palpable, I feel like, within the fan base. Like, everybody's really starting to gear up. Uh, it's It's just been so exciting. I'm so ready for it. Um, just a, just a few short weeks left. I mean, right, like what, we're a month away now, officially? Uh, yeah, a month away from the start of the yeah. regular season, from that first game, exactly. So it's almost here, gearing up for training camp soon uh, and the preseason. Right, only four podcasts between now and the time we get to see uh, the Kraken beat up the Ducks uh, opening night. Put, yep, put, exactly. Put Trevor Zegers <laughs> and Mason McTavish in their place. Let's go. <laughs> that's goal number one that's that's all that matters that's you know the two points yeah that's fun for whatever in the standings but really this is what matters you got to establish that uh early on um not not too much of a cold open obviously last week i talked about my struggles with uh the identity theft that took place and the uh, the draining of all of my buffalo wild wings rewards points blazing rewards points tm uh <laughs> just being specific but the situation has been dealt with i got all my points back so hey yeah. hooray anyway, congrats i know if anybody wants to go to b-dubs hit me up i'm buying <laughs> i got enough for probably... gotta burn them before they get stolen again huh that's that's basically what my plan is sometime in the next week i'm probably going and using them all up myself <laughs> just <laughs> just in case um so that that was good but I think really we should just jump kind of right into the question I left everybody with at the end of last podcast. And, you know, I don't know that we'll continue doing these questions once we get into the season and there's kind of more like news and, and you know, interesting things to talk about as it relates to the on ice performance of the team. But I certainly have been enjoying doing this through this last bit of off season, asking these questions uh, at the end of each podcast. I have a fantastic one. I've already dropped a little bit of a hint, but I've got a fantastic one for the end of this podcast, so make sure you stay to the end, everybody, so that you can hear it and chime in later. But last week, I asked this question of, I I have this email from, you know, a kid's bop audition. It's a response to a kid's bop audition, and yes, I stole this content from Drew Gooden, a different uh, YouTuber, but it's just a fantastic email. And my question was, which Kraken player was most likely to audition for Kids Bop and receive this email in response? No, absolutely not. You are not a kid. You don't look like a kid. You don't. You didn't sing a real song. Your dancing was bad. Your face is weird. Your name is fake. You look like you don't wear deodorant. You didn't even bother to learn the dance. You answered the questions by repeating the questions in the form of a sentence. You look like you're 20. You have no talent. You have no star power. You are not likable. You aren't cool. You have nothing. You are nobody. You will achieve nothing. Good day. All right. And so brutal. Just hearing that again. Yep. Yeah, so we got some good responses. I think it was Striatic with the Jamie Alexiak, which I thought was a fun one because I do feel like he'd be going for that whole, like, you know how every boy band has, like, that older kid in it who's mm-hmm. kind of, like, got some, like, some chin scruff or whatever. I feel like that could have been Jamie Alexiak's goal in, in, in going for it. But tons of responses, RJ, for Brandon Tanev. 
Oh, yeah. So many. I can tell you exactly when my dad listened to that last podcast because I got a text instantly of, it has to be Brandon Tan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think people really zeroed in on that one. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's an interesting option for sure. I mean, he, he's he's got the personality, right? He's got the personality for sure. I mean, you could just totally see, like, especially if it's the photo with the eyes, you know, somebody <laughs> just looking at that and just being like, for kids, Bob? No way. <laughs> no. no, not at all. And especially if they saw that video. Remember when he went to the school and was reading to the children? Yes. He's going to have to get a little bit more comfortable around kids if he's going to make that work. Oh, man. Oh, yes, for sure. For sure. So um, it, it's time for you and I to give our takes on, on this. Do you want to go first or, or should I? Sure, I'll go first. All right. All right. So I went with Carson Kuhlman. Which, first of all, just the name itself, that sounds like it could be a kids' boss stage yes. name with a K, Carson Coolman. So in the email, yes. he even mentions, you're not cool. Yes. So made sure to address that uh, in the video there. Um, he definitely doesn't look like a kid. No. I, I could see it. There, there's no way he could really disguise that, I think. You know, he looks like he's 20 at least. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd say 20 is, is pretty generous if you're uh, if you're going for that. But I, I could see Carson Kuhlman. He's, he's a pretty funny guy, too. Uh, that would be my pick. Yeah, and you know, twice in here, Dancing Bad is in there, and I don't know why, and you know, total apologies to Carson Kuhlman, but I get the vibe that he's probably not a good dancer. Hmm, all right, all right, just, I mean, I could I could see it. It's just a vibe, you know, uh, and, and watch him be the best dancer on the team now, and, and come back at us, but you know what? I know, I would, here, prove us wrong, prove us wrong, that. Carson. Exactly, that's the, that's the challenge I'm going to drop. Uh, I went with Morgan Geeky. Because at the oh end of the, at, and, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, like the name sounds fake. He looks twenty. He's he looks like you know maybe he skips the deodorant sometimes because he just forgets on his way out of the house. You know, he's kind of in a rush. That's the way his hair always kind of looks to me. It's like he was just kind of in a rush. He like maybe threw water on it and then out the door, right? Um, I, I, and ultimately it came down to the question of just like who would actually do this. Right? Who would right. actually audition to be a kids bop kid? And tell me that doesn't sound like some off-season activity for Morgan Geeky, you know, back home messing around with Connor, his brother, as they're going through the draft process for him, right? And uh, and <laughs> and it just comes up one night that it's like, oh yeah, you know, uh, I dare you to audition for kids bop. And then Morgan Geeky feels like the kind of guy who would actually follow through on that dare, audition for kids bop, and get a response back like this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the exact scenario, getting dared by his brother there to do it, going through with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's Morgan Geeky, too, to see that thing, like <laughs> apply Morgan Geeky auditioning for Kids Bop is perfect. And then you see that face and everything. Yep. Like it would be it would be good. So that's uh, that that was my pick was Morgan Geeky. And I, I just yeah. But I feel like in a weird way, there is no wrong answer. Right, that's true. Like, you you could make up the scenario, I think, for anyone, and that's what makes this such a fun question. Yeah, I was kind of surprised nobody said Vince Dunn. I felt like Vince Dunn mm. could have been going for the bad boy angle, right? Bad boy of kids, yeah. Bob Vince Dunn. Mm. I just think he wouldn't have gotten such a harsh response. I think that's maybe true. Like, okay, let's think about been it. Like, well, maybe kids, Bob isn't right for you, but I've got this other group I'm putting together. Exactly. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the response you would get. That is probably what he would get. But yes, I, I don't know. I, I, I kept trying to think of like a wrong answer and I was just like, Philip Grubauer? Like, <laughs> that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Probably least likely. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but good fun stuff. Uh, had a lot of fun with it. Had a lot of fun reading everybody's responses to it. And like I said, make sure you stay for the end of this one because I think this might be the best question I I'm able to come up with through this whole like little run as we run up to the end of the season. It might be the one at the end of this podcast. So make sure you wow, stay. Wow, okay, that. even better than Kids Bob. I know, and I'm not just saying that so that people have to go to the end of the podcast either or listen through. Like I, I legit think this might be the best one. Um, okay. All right, but. For now, let's go ahead and transition into the the, the quick hits, the news, RJ. What uh, what news were you able to uh, drum up this week? Crounge together this week. Yeah, because there wasn't Not much. A lot. <laughs> right. I mean, we're still waiting on kind of a training camp schedule, preseason schedule, all that sort of thing. Um, so we don't have that yet. But what we do have, a different kind of schedule of sorts, uh, the schedule of nationally televised games for the Kraken this year. So the Kraken will appear in 10 nationally televised games this season, which is a pretty good amount, first of all. I mean, that's kind of yeah. right up there, you know, with some of the top teams, certainly teams that performed better than the Kraken did last season. So I think it shows there's still a lot of excitement there. And I'll, I'll just list them off right here, just so you all know uh, when they're going to be. So they'll be on TNT October 19th uh, versus St. Louis. That'll be at 7 p.m. And November 8th against Nashville, and that'll be at 7 p.m., another home game. And one thing you'll notice with these, a lot of home games, too. A lot of these national televised games are going to be in Seattle. Yeah, because they like to do the like kind of back to back games like on their national nights, right? Like they like to have an East Coast game and then a West Coast game. So it kind of makes sense that we would then be the the West Coast game. So it would be at home, right? So I, I think I, that makes yeah. sense. Agreed. Yeah. And then you kind of see it on the schedule, too. It's like the later of the two games. So we might have to uh, wait on the TV schedule a little bit. Uh, schedule, but, you know, the, for the game to end before ours, you know how that works yes. uh, on those nationally televised games. So <laughs> be yeah. ready for that uh, on those dates. So then the cracking will be on ESPN uh, New Year's Day, January 1st at home against the New York Islanders. That one's going to be a 5 p.m. start time. Um, so they'll that's, have that one and then, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, that's good. I like those. I, I, cause I was going to say, one. I hate the ones where it's like, oh, we're the West coast game. We got to wait. And then the game before goes to like overtime or something. So you got to push it back. All of a sudden the game's starting at seven thirty, seven forty-five, and then post game yeah. afterwards. It's like, wow. Especially when it's a seven thirty plan start, like the other game yes. they'll have on ESPN uh, on April 13th at home against the Vegas Golden Knights. I believe that's the final game of the regular season. Uh, and that start time for that is 7.30 p.m. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later, too. Uh, and then finally, they'll be on uh, ESPN Plus slash Hulu uh, for six games. That'll be November 11th at home against Minnesota, uh, December 30th at home against Edmonton, uh, March 7th at home against Anaheim. Lots of home games here. Uh, March 16th on the road at San Jose, 7.30 start time on that one. Uh, March 30th at home against Anaheim. And then April 6th at home against Arizona. So those are those six ESPN plus slash Hulu games. Yeah. So lots of West Coast games again. <laughs> Keep it yep. with that. And uh, a lot with Anaheim there. Seems like maybe the league is kind of on the same wavelength as me. Let's get this rivalry going. Um, yep. I know. I, I think, think you can see it too. It's it's going to be a future rivalry, you know, whether you 
might as well start early right in front yeah. of a national audience so um i think that's going to be good and then uh one thing also to point out two games have changed start times so heads up if you're going to those they did give you plenty of notice though because both those games are in april uh april 6th against the coyotes that's moved from 7 p.m to a 7 30 start time and then april 13th final game of the regular season against the vegas golden knights also moving from 7 p.m to 7 30 so hopefully those don't start around eight or so uh given that there'll be other national games beforehand but uh yeah we'll see how late those ones go you didn't like the the post game lives going to like midnight rj <laughs> I mean, that's especially for those <laughs> home always... games. So you're like kind of stuck at the arena for it the whole time. Right. I, I mean, I will say uh, after the last home game of the regular season uh, last year, I did stay until after midnight yeah, anyway, because I just didn't want to leave because I knew I wouldn't be back for so long. Uh, but yeah, so it might happen again, but just I might actually be on the post game till midnight. Yeah. So um, we'll see how that goes. Maybe I'll stay till 1 a.m. Who knows? Um, but uh, one more wrinkle here with the scheduling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Curtis from Deep Sea Hockey did bring up an interesting question on Twitter. Uh, he said, I hereby invite the enterprising people of the internet to discern likely Eddie Olchek slash TNT conflicts with the Seattle Kraken schedule. Okay, thanks. So, invitation accepted. Uh, I went and looked at the schedule for TNT and then the Kraken schedule and came up with six potential Eddie Olchek slash TNT conflicts with the Kraken schedule. So that would be October 12th, November 23rd, November 25th, December 28th, January 25th, and then March 5th. Now, the first takeaway I had with this was I was surprised there's so few of them. I mean, only six days out of the entire schedule. It looked like a lot of them were I almost kind of planned to not be on those days, uh, you know, where the Kraken would have games. There are a lot of days where or times where it's, you know, Kraken game, national game, Kraken game, just in three days back to back. I don't know how much, uh, you know, he'll be traveling for those. It seems like Eddie Olchek, one way or the other, is going to rack up a lot of frequent flyer miles. Yeah, I was going to say that's got to happen for sure. Um, I don't know on... on situations like that like that's where i feel like it's a benefit uh the kraken having essentially a three-man booth right because you can just have you know eddie sit out either the game before the national game or the game after just so that it isn't like you know he's just having to call games every single day and he's having to travel all over the country like that just i i don't know maybe he's like totally up for it and he like absolutely loves doing that but i just feel like it's probably better for everybody involved if that isn't uh, a situation that occurs too frequently just you know if anything you just don't want his voice to wear out all that kind of stuff like it, the traveling even when it's as planned and set up as this it still can take its toll on you calling those games back to back especially in loud buildings takes its toll on your voice just you know what i mean like you and I both know how that can be just talking right in the press bridge. Sometimes afterwards, you're just a little like, you know, you're a little hoarse because you've essentially been like shouting the whole time for three, three and a half hours straight. So, um, I, yeah, I don't know that that's going to happen a lot, but I feel like that was also kind of part of root and the Kraken's plan of having a three man booth of it means, Hey, when Eddie has other responsibilities, not just on the days that he's, you know, having to also call a TNT game, but also those times where the TNT game is like in the middle of a road trip or something, they can just move with John and JT and everything would be fine. It'll, you know, the broadcast will not 
have essentially lost any quality compared to last year, right? It'll be the same thing right. as what we had. So. Right. They're in the best position of any team to be able to do this too. And I'm sure that was exactly part of the plan. Yeah. I would expect more than six games uh, that Edzo takes off, just given that travel schedule. If you were to try and make every game, I certainly wouldn't want to do that uh, and everything that entails. And like you mentioned, you know, the, the voice wearing out and, and also just the prep that you have to do too. Yep. If you're calling games on three consecutive nights, I mean, there, there's a lot of preparation that broadcasters do to make sure you have all the information that you can tell the story in a good way. If you've ever seen those notebooks that they have open during the game, I mean, it's just two, three, four full pages full of notes of everything going on. And, you know, for three games in three days, that's a lot to keep track of. Uh, even for someone who obviously knows the league as well as Edzo does. I mean, you know, he's got this encyclopedic knowledge, I'm sure, but it's just a lot to keep track of the recent storylines. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how many games he ends up doing, but I mean, it's going to be a great broadcast regardless. Right. And if they really want to stick with like the three person booth, I mean, you know, call Allison up for a game, maybe. Got, oh, we got yeah. lots of options in that building, so uh, I, I think That's the true. Kraken are, are going to be just fine when it comes to this. One last thing on the schedule, though, was talking about, you know, might have the last game of the season kind of again. I know we weren't really supposed to last year, I don't believe, but we ended up with the whole May 1st uh, Winnipeg game. I think it'd be kind of cool if the Kraken played the last game every year. Like, that would just be, like would a, be fun. a fun kind of tradition and, and you know, for whatever reason, right? It could just be because we're the new kids on the block, right? And so it's just like, ah, 30, 30 you know, the newest edition, latest team, you got to play the, the last game. I think that would be kind of cool. I think so, too. That would be great. You know, as long as you don't have it where it was kind of last year, where it's a couple days after the yeah. regular season schedule ends. But I, I would like to see that. Yeah, I think that would be a fun tradition and something that, you know, we can do for our you know ourselves or whatever like like isn't it the reds that play the first baseball game every season or whatever it's like they always yeah. they always start it like really early on opening day so that they're always the first one and <laughs> no you know kids don't go to school or whatever for it so it, i think it's kind of fun when you can have those kind of franchise traditions like that yeah i agree yeah. we'll see if they keep it going next season if you can uh, just nudge the nhl schedule to make it happen yes now uh i i do know that there's one other piece of news that you have that's kind of Kraken related. So why don't, we, why don't we go ahead and get into that? All right. So I want to give a quick shout out uh, to my Kraken Hockey League. So my, my adult rec hockey league team, the Voodoo Rangers, for winning the division championship last night. Uh, and so those of you who are watching on the video version of this podcast on YouTube will be able to see this. This really cool uh, plaque here that they give to the division champions. This is the first season that they've done this. Really well done by the Kraken yes. Hockey League. Shout out Andy Cole, uh, you know, for getting these things set up. And uh, what I like about it most, it says made with game used NHL glass. So how about that? You can see it's kind of the thickness, you yeah. know, of the NHL glass. But anyway, shout out and congrats to the Voodoo Rangers. Uh, just awesome team. Yeah. Best group of people I, I could hope to play hockey with. So uh, great job. Great season. Yeah, let's go. I wasn't ready on the button, but here's the here's the confetti and fireworks. Yay, Voodoo Rangers! Hey. Woo! <laughs> um, yeah, no, that that was awesome. Congrats to to you, and congrats to everybody on the team. That's that's really cool. And that, uh, yeah, I mean, trophy, whatever you want to call it, is is dope. I mean, that oh, league yeah. is so dope. And what a great you know use for the materials, right? Like, because I'm assuming most teams they like they never reuse the glass like season to season i would assume it gets all scuffed up and everything like 
Right. I've never seen it used really for anything else. So this yeah. is a really creative way of doing that. And of course, sticks with the team's overall message of, you yeah. know, reusing things, recycling things. So. Right. And it's, you know, it's called the crack in hockey league. Any, anytime you can get more and more of those connections to the NHL club, I think the better. Um, I just think it, it works. Uh, it helps feed. We were talking, there's like what, like 20 divisions in this league, which is, you know, huge. Oh, yeah, it, it is a big league, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's great that they can do this. And certainly a, a great surprise, too, for the captains, because as I was skating out, they didn't tell us that this was coming, too. You know, we were all celebrating everything, and then the scorekeeper comes out and hands me that. I'm like, wow, this is great. I'm glad they didn't tell us in advance. Uh, and you could see the, the reaction on some of the other captains' faces, too, because it was championship games all throughout the day yesterday. Yeah, no, it's it's really really dope, and um, I'm happy that they did that. Uh, I guess just to just to keep up with you, I'll give a shout out to LMU uh, Esports semifinalists in League of Legends and Rocket League for uh, collegiate esports championships this past weekend too. So that's that's the best I got. Everybody, sorry. <laughs> Hey, gotta celebrate the alma mater doing well. I was gonna say for a very small school like like Loyola Marymount University, that is basically the pinnacle of you know a, a athletic achievement for us. <laughs> is, is that because otherwise we just get beat up by Gonzaga all the time in basketball, and that's about all we've got going for us. So, <laughs> well, there you go. Congratulations. Yes. Um, so, but speaking of, I'm uh, wearing my esports jersey here. I wanted to talk about jerseys a little bit before we get into our deep dive of the power play, which is kind of like the focal point of this episode, because we got some more uh, reverse retro reveals this past week. And um, one of them that everybody's been kind of talking about was the San Jose Sharks one. And one of the things everybody was noticing was this kind of cool p fabric pattern that they have on it as, as part of it. And it kind of reminds you of like, you know, kind of current uh, is kind of what I thought when I saw it was it, it looked like a, you know, if you've ever seen like a current chart or something of the ocean, um, it very much looked like that. Either that, or it looks like, you know, the wrappings of a Halloween mummy on the white parts, just because <laughs> it's kind of like all thrown together. <laughs> so, you know, one of those two is what they were probably going for. I'll let you all guess what it is, but it, it got me thinking because we still haven't, you know, seen what the what the Kraken one is going to be. Uh, but I wanted to talk about, you know, we talked about broadly what we want it to be uh, a couple weeks ago. Let's talk about kind of some of the, the little details we'd like to see on the Kraken one, because I feel like those are the things that really make Jersey special. I know for myself and I'll show off a Jersey I have that's really special to me just because of all the little details it has, I think are really cool. And it's, it's made me appreciate it more maybe than other jerseys I own. Uh, and uh, cause, and I think that the NHL doesn't do enough of them either, to be honest, they don't really get creative with their sweaters all that often. And I'll call them sweaters. So we don't get yelled at either for just say <laughs> for just saying jerseys, but I'm telling you it's interchangeable. Everybody, sorry. <laughs> yeah. But both work. Sorry yes. to, sorry to inform everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first off, just kind of, what do you think of the, of what the sharks are doing, uh, in general there, RJ? Um, I mean, cause these are the sharks do primary uniforms too. They're not just the yeah, reverse that's retros, they're that's the new true. home and away sweaters. Uh, and I will say, I like the jerseys. Mm -hmm. Um, the, of course they had to keep some orange on the collar, but at least you won't be able to see it. Uh, but I won't get too much into that, but I really do like 
that kind of textured look on the sleeves. Yeah. This is something that NHL teams are doing a little bit more frequently now. Uh, something that's kind of been opened up since, yeah. I believe, 2017 was the first time I really remember seeing it with the Vegas Golden Knights with their original yeah. jerseys. They had that kind of Vegasy, you know, leaf pattern that you you'll see, you know, at the casinos and such. They had that on the sleeves, and I thought that was really cool. Um, and so the Sharks following suit here, they did something similar, I guess, with their uh, third jerseys, their their black alternates, uh, where they had a um, like a like a, a silicon chip type pattern. If yeah. you remember that, you couldn't really see it from any kind of distance because the whole jersey was just so dark. Uh, I think if you got the colors better on it, it would have yeah. worked better. But I like thinking creatively like that and having something that's certainly with, you know, the chips and everything that, that's, you know, unique to the city mm -hmm. and to the area. Um, and I do like the pattern here on these jerseys. And I think lots of teams have this opportunity now to get yeah. that kind of textured look. I think that could be the next big thing. Uh, for jerseys is have something that's specific to your team and when it comes to the kraken i think there are certainly some possibilities uh, some exciting possibilities yeah. that you could have i mean the first thing that, that i think you know you and i probably thought of was like a tentacle type mm -hmm. uh you know print there with it with a textured thing on the sleeve something subtle of course you don't want just big like tentacles all over the sleeve but something subtle could work really well anchors is the other thing i thought of um but did you have some kind of ideas for that for that textured look yeah, I mean, nothing nothing too specific. I think this to the fact that you can go kind of in any direction, you know, with the nautical stuff, I think is is there. I think you have, you know, certainly lots of different historical things for the Pacific Northwest that you can draw from and Seattle specifically. Um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm just in favor of adding in these kind of textured things and things that you can't really um, maybe always notice or appreciate until you're up close, until you're holding that jersey, until you're really seeing it. Uh, because I just think that that, like I said, it just adds so much more depth to a jersey than anything else. And it and it does. It feels more personalized. It feels more unique. You just naturally, you can have more affinity for it in a way that you just can't otherwise when it's just like, oh yeah, this is just like a jersey, right? You know what I mean? Like, um, especially in, in a league where, you know, it's really dope that so many sweaters haven't really changed over the years, but it's also a league in which sometimes it just kind of feels stagnant, right? Because right. so many sweaters are like essentially the same as they were a hundred years ago. Like it's great to have the tradition, but it's also, you know, it, it gets boring sometimes. So certainly for a team like the Kraken, where you're newer, you don't necessarily have to keep things the same all the time because there's a hundred year history, right? The history is only two years old. It's pretty easy to, to mess around with it and, and have fun with it is really what the, what I'm looking for. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, but I, I feel like there's plenty of opportunity, not just to like add textures to the sleeves, but really the entire Jersey. I think the whole Jersey should be on the table when it comes to this stuff. Um, I, I was kind of thinking of examples just outside of hockey and, you know, I, I always like stuff like on, um, the Henry Cavill Superman suit. It's like got all the little S's and the, the, the crest, the Superman crest it's made up of that. And so from far away, you can't see them, but it gives it a texture. And then up close, you notice that detail. I don't know that we need to do that with the Kraken where it's just the Kraken S all over the Jersey or anything, but <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that I, I think looks really cool because it, it gives it a completely different appearance from 
you know, any distance. Up close, you're noticing these cool details everywhere. Far away, it gives it a kind of 3D quality to it that, that just looks good. Um, sticking with the eSports the e theme, this is uh, the uh, Team Astralis jersey from a couple years ago in CSGO. And there's a couple things I want to point out on it because I think it's one of, the one of if not the coolest jersey that I own. Um, and so first off, talking about textures, different fabrics, things that are possible because we're living in 2022. Their crest, is, as you can see, it's kind of got like a crackle foil texture. Hopefully it's, it's showing up. Why don't NHL teams have that? Why aren't why aren't there metallics and all sorts of cool textured things going on for the crests and stuff? Like like with the Kraken, we can have the red eye in the center of the crest be like all shiny and, and kind of ruby like, you Ooh. know, kind of kind of really cool or or something like that. I just feel like that's one of these things that I don't know. I don't know why teams aren't doing it. Um, I don't have it like here where I can lift it up. But if you think back to the stadium series jerseys, I have that Crosby stadium series Jersey. That was kind of a metallic shine kind of to the crests on those, but it's really dull and flat and it looks terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but, but I, I feel like we could do better than that. And so the first thing I'd kind of want to see is any team do, do something. And it's not quite showing up because of my lighting here, but you can kind of see the, the sparkle there um in, in the crest the other thing i like about this is it's two layer and there's no way i'm going to be able to show this but it's two layer with the black on top and then there's a red layer underneath oh i can't kind of show it so see the red see poking it. through when it stretches there's no reason you can't do stuff like that either right do two thin layers but have one color underneath so as the as the player is moving as it's stretching on them as they do certain things you see a lighter color underneath the jersey or a darker color i think that would be something that's super dope again no other sports league is doing anything like this the nhl could totally like be the be the one to do it remember back in the 90s when everyone was wearing nhl sweaters all the time because they were just considered the coolest like, let's get back to that. This is the kind of stuff that would, you know, stand out to people. Uh, and then the final thing is on the back of one of the arms of the jerseys, uh, on the back of the jersey, on one of the arms, it has all these symbols. And I don't think there's necessarily a right way, right? And each one of those represents uh, a player on the team and, and kind of their mm -hmm. role for the team. Now, obviously, for an NHL team, you have a lot more than five people. So probably a little bit impractical but it's a nice personal touch to it but the one that really stands out and that i'm bringing this up for is on the inside of the jersey right under the crest right where your heart is on that right side is a symbol for the coach because they're the heart of the team right and it's on the inside and i'm like why aren't any sports teams doing stuff like that like, obviously, you know, like a team owner or somebody important to the team passes away, we put the patch on the jersey or whatever, right, to remember them. I think that's really cool. But I think it would be really cool to put stuff also on the inside, that the only people you know it's there are really the fans. And it gives you that kind of special, like, you know, right, like like this. Mm -hmm. uh, I know it's there. Astralis fans know that that's there and what it means. And it's really kind of cool. And it kind of adds that extra layer of depth. And I think there's a lot of things that, you know, NHL teams could pull like could you imagine like um you know the oilers one day having like a 99 in there 
right? And it's just, it's yeah. on the inside of the jersey, and it's kind of one of those special things really only for the fans who know, the fans who buy that jersey to know, and the players who wear it to know. I think I think those are, those are like, really cool ideas that, um, you know, esports is doing because they have the freedom to experiment, right? And I feel like the NHL should be doing that too. Yeah, and looking at leagues or, or sports like esports where they have that freedom to to experiment a little bit more than maybe some of the big four professional sports, that's really where you can find some of those great ideas. And I think the first of the bigger leagues to adopt them, you know, of the big four, you know, North American sports to adopt them, they're going to have a lot of success there and kind of have that early mover advantage and, and have their jerseys be popular and cool. I mean, we've we've seen little things, I guess, like in some of the NHL jerseys where they'll put a little motto kind of on the back of the collar yeah uh, but uh, you know it's it, it's like a text motto it's not you know versus the heart there right on the inside of the jersey yeah. i mean that, that that just seems so much better to me um and especially with the textures you mentioned the eye being kind of shiny sparkly that would be awesome and we know there are teams in the nhl that are are craving that shiny that sparkly element and this is a much better way to do it than making your helmets chrome or spark or shiny gold um yes <laughs> keep it on the jerseys um you know i think we've seen enough of those helmets but um yeah I, I think there are a lot of really great ideas that if you look beyond the hockey rink beyond some of the, the major sports uh that you can find for jerseys and, and who better to be an innovator than the newest team the kraken mm-hmm yeah, exactly. I think it makes too much sense. I, I feel like, you know, again, Seattle, it's it's not like Seattle's not kind of also a tech hub, right? It's very much a 21st century kind of kind of place. So um, I, I just feel like they have a lot of opportunity being the new kids. Like I said, you don't have 100 years worth of history that you're kind of fighting against when it comes to doing something like this. Like, why not be the first team to have, you know, a non like because this isn't really fabric it's kind of like i don't know i don't know how to describe it kind of vinyl right to get the 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 cracked thing and you wouldn't want that a lot on a jersey but like like i said just on the eye or just on one part of it i think it would be totally fine and um you know the the league right adidas is going to be leaving us the nhl more so than any league kind of gets passed around as far as jersey manufacturers uh, that's going to be coming up again soon. I feel like that's a good time for for the NHL that you know as a whole, and certainly these individual teams to to really take a look at it and and really try to think out of the box and try to innovate and say you know, hey, we got this opportunity to to do this now. Let's let's really go for it. Let's push the envelope. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, so uh, that's that's kind of what I want to talk about there. Now we we can go ahead and move into our deep dive into power play systems. RJ, uh, I talked all through last season about how much I hate the one three one, which is ever prevalent in today's NHL. <laughs> uh, just to quickly re-describe it to everyone, uh, that's when you have kind of one player net front. That's your first one. I'm assuming it goes net out. Everything in hockey tends to go net out. So we'll say that that's your first one. Uh, then you have three players across the ice. You got one on the right boards, one on the left half boards. And then you've got your bumper player kind of playing in the middle in the slot there. And then you have uh, your final one uh, on the back end, which is your defenseman who kind of plays center of the ice up top and, and kind of works as the distributor, kind of taking the puck and funneling it from side to side. Um, this you know, it was it was revolutionary when it first came into the league, RJ, and it first kind of worked. It's 
in some ways kind of a, a play on the umbrella power play in a lot of ways. And I feel like it's kind of essentially, you know, showcased all the problems of the umbrella power play. Like we're just <laughs> kind of right back to that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It There's there's lots of problems and I guess I'll just jump into them. The biggest problem is the bumper spot because what, what this has done is the whole idea of having the three guys kind of in the middle was originally that you could get some good cross ice movement from like kind of one end to the other. You get the goaltender moving laterally. Maybe you've drawn defensemen out of, out of position. You've got a guy there net front for rebounds or to screen the goalie. You've got the guy in the bumper spot to be there for rebounds kind of a little higher up in the slot. You've got the, your defenseman back that you can pass back to as kind of like a pressure release. If you're being pressured too much, right? Like on, on paper, it all works. But what we found was defenses, they just kind of collapse in towards the slot. And now you can't pass across the middle. Your guy in the bumper is completely taken out of any play because you, you physically cannot get the puck to him. Cause he's got, you know, at any given time, four defensemen on him. So he's just completely taken out of the play. And really, as we saw, like with the Kraken last year, everything just goes back to the the defenseman. So any idea of moving the puck cross ice, now you have to involve your defenseman. So you're passing back to your defenseman who then passes it back across. And then you can't, you know, you're not going to get the, you're not catching the goaltender moving laterally like that. You're not catching the defense out of position like that. So defense is found. If we just kind of collapse towards the center of the ice, hang out in the slot, we can essentially make it four on four because the guy in the bumper spot is taken completely out of the play and can't do anything. And uh, they can't make any dangerous passes across the zone. So now you're just left playing four on four totally to the outside. And that to me has always been the problem with the one, three, one. And it's, it's kind of mind boggling to me that so many teams still insist on using it. Um, I feel like I've been talking a lot. So RJ, what are your thoughts on the one, three, (laughs) one? Yeah, I think the one three one it can be very effective, but I think it's highly personnel dependent. Yes. And we see this with teams like, you know, the Washington Capitals who have an elite one timer threat like an Alex Ovechkin, you know, who have a TJ Oshie that can be in the bumper spot, that have a John Carlson that, that can quarterback a power play like that, where, you know, if you have the right personnel, it can work. But what it really depends on is having two very good one timer threats on their off hands that you can put on the left boards and on the right boards. And when you have that, it's very difficult for a a defending team to take away both. And that's where you really have that threat where the goalie's having to go from side to side one way or another, and that can be really difficult to defend. And it can open up that cross-seam pass because you don't know which side the one-timer is coming from. My issue with the 131 is that very few teams have the personnel to really make it work. And I think a lot of teams will force it on players and situations where it just doesn't really make sense. Uh, Using it as kind of this one size fits all, but it doesn't really work. As we saw with the Kraken last season, they really didn't have a one-timer threat, usually on either side last season. And when that's the case, You just see the puck getting moved around the perimeter, kind of like what Dylan talked about. You can't really challenge the middle if you're sticking to that structure. And the Kraken were so desperate for a legitimate one-timer option just to provide some threat there. We even saw Daniel Sprong as kind of the go-to guy on the power play. Nothing against Daniel Sprong, but he's not exactly one of the more star players. But the one three one requires you to have a guy that's the one-timer threat. And I just think a lot of teams 
try and make it work when the personnel doesn't match rather than coming up with a creative solution that does match the personnel that they have. Right. So we're not necessarily going to come up with better solutions and, and power play systems here on this podcast, right? Like we're not coaches anymore. Uh, and then it's, it's a, it's a very detailed thing that, that you would need to spend a, a really a lot of time on. However, there are certain things that I feel like teams should be looking at uh, and, and areas in which to go and experiment, much like we were talking about with the jerseys. There's a lot of room for experimentation uh, to try to find the next thing and maybe find something that can't be so easily taken away like the one three one is if you don't have that one-timer threat where a defense can just kind of chill in the middle they don't get tired, right? Like what were all the benefits of the power play originally, right? It was first and foremost, you have an extra player on the ice. You're playing five on four. That's a huge benefit. You got a whole extra person. That means the defense can't cover everybody. But when the defense can just chill out in the middle, it doesn't matter. They're not even trying to cover anybody, right? Like they don't have to. They're just trying to take away the passing lane. Second is that would get guy the defense tired, right? Because generally you have that extra guy, you're keeping the puck in the zone, the defense is really having to skate around because they can't be everywhere at once, so the defense is getting tired. Right now when defenses just get to hang out in the slot, if you have to pull a, you know, a minute 20 shift just hanging out in the slot, you can, you can do that, right? An NHL player can do that. They're going to get by on it. Uh, so you, you kind of have taken away that advantage of what the power play originally gave you and then the the last thing was and this kind of ties into the first thing of taking a player off the ice is that you have more ice to work with the ice is less cluttered you have more room and you have more space and more time and that allows you to be more creative to pull off moves that you might not be able to otherwise when everything's all jammed up right and to to be creative as a player on the ice and so i feel like so many teams and we saw this with the kraken last year right they all of those advantages completely disappeared for them. They It was like none of them existed, in which case, what is the point of the power play, which many of us were, were asking. Like, can we turn these down, please, because this is painful. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of where you find yourself. So I think the first, the first thing that teams need to start experimenting with is taking advantage of those things, taking advantage of space, tire out the defense, take advantage of the fact that they can't cover everybody. So I want to see teams kind of go back to, and this is, going back a ways i'm trying to think of like when it was a little bit more prevalent i know the penguins ran it kind of back in there in those two you know the 16 17 stanley cup days but go back to overloading a side right let's talk let's you know you mentioned personnel if you don't have legitimate threats on two sides of the ice just just you know overload the side to one one side and leave maybe you know your ovechkin all alone on the other side or something. And the Capitals do kind of do this where they have, you know, Oshie and the bumper slack kind of drift over to the side to, to leave Ovechkin open. Uh, Tampa kind of does that with Stamkos as well, where they kind of just trying to get the defense to forget that they're there. Um, but overload aside, pull, put, put four of your players more so to one side of the ice, overload that side, and it puts the defense in a situation where they either have to pull all four people over and make it four on four, but now you've got one person who's completely alone and wide open on the other end of the ice. All you got to do is essentially clear it to the other side of the ice, and that player is going to get it and have all the time and space in the world that they want. Or the defense has to leave one guy respecting that person over on the other side of the ice. And now you have four on three where you've got even more time and space to work with. You can totally take advantage of that mismatch in personnel. Uh, just, you know, in the fact that there isn't as many personnel for the other team uh, and you can start doing creative things. 
when you overload a side, you've got now a guy kind of playing below the goal line on one side, right? Sidney Crosby always loved to play in that spot. Sidney Crosby, plenty of times where he would take, you know, they'd dump a puck in to get it past the, the three defenders, right? Dump it down to, to Crosby, who's able to really quickly make a move. All of a sudden, he's on the other side of the net where that one player is kind of left alone. He can pass it up to them and they can one-time it from there. You're not relying on trying to get a cross-ice pass or having your defenseman try to do a no-look pass to draw the defense away to give that player a one-timer. Nah, feed him a pass from behind the net. That's an option for you now once you've overloaded a side. You don't need to have that player uh, in the in the bumper spot as much. You can have them drift down lower. Maybe you have them screen. Now the person who was screening the goalie can play behind the goal line. It opens up a lot of stuff. That, to me, I think is the best avenue forward, and that's what I want to see teams kind of experiment with. Yeah, I like that idea. I mean, overloading side, it, it, it gives you different options. And, and also, when you have a threat on one side like that, that's the kind of thing. It can match the personnel if you have that. Um, and, and that's the kind of the creativity I like to see with it. Um, one, uh, Do you have another suggestion, or should I go on to mine? Go, go ahead for yours. That's, that's really where I poured most of my thinking because otherwise it's just you know I, I just go chaos ball right just start chucking <laughs> pucks to the net and just try to win with numbers net front i mean you have the numbers odds and and try to do like you know four on three power plays what's the one thing they all try to do is they try to collapse in towards the net try to make the ice as small as possible around that opposing goaltender just just do that five on four well, that's that's the perfect segue into what I was going to okay. suggest. So I'm glad you brought that up, because um, when I was uh, kind of researching for this episode and, and really doing some more thinking on the power play, um, I found a, an article from uh, Jack Hahn, who's a, a hockey consultant, former NHL analyst, AHL coach, expert in hockey tactics. At, at, and he's uh, at Jahan HKY on Twitter, by the way. Recommend you follow him. I followed him for a while. Great stuff. Um, but he had an article called The Perfect Power Play, and it talked about Jim Hiller and when Jim Hiller ran uh, the power play for the Detroit Red Wings in 2014-15, and then he went to Toronto from 2015 to 2019. But um, that 14-15 power play in Detroit, I thought this was really interesting and uh, an example of a coach who didn't just try and jam the players he had into this kind of 1-3-1, one-size-fits-all, where he really thought creatively and matched the personnel that he had. So the thing with that Detroit power play you got a lot of really talented players, but all five of the guys running that top power play unit were all left-handed. Five lefties on that power play unit, which is not what a lot of coaches would do, right? right. It's this predicament you have to find your way around. And when you talk about the traditional 1-3-1, one, one, we talked about needing one-timer options on both sides to make it work most effectively. Mm -hmm. When you got five lefties, you can't do that. You don't have those one-timer options. Um so what Jack Hahn talks about is Hiller kind of adjusting here. And he talked about that power play scheme where the Red Wings, you know, they had a lot of offensive talent. You've got Pavel Datsuk, you've got Henrik Zetterberg, really talented players. So he gave them the green light to move off the puck and kind of rotate in and out of spots. But as Hahn says, his prime directive was for Detroit skaters to create a 3v1s at the net 
using 10 to 20 foot passes rather than attempt cross seam one timers, which was only possible from one half of the ice given their five lefty arrangement. Mm -hmm. So, and he posted some video clips. Like I'd recommend checking out this article. We can put this down yeah, in the description, sure. I think, uh, on the YouTube version of this. But he posted some video clips where instead of trying these cross seam passes and moving around the outside, you kind of try and draw everything to one side, have three guys going to the net on the opposite side of the ice and just throw a, a little weak shot, just something there meant to generate a rebound. And then all of a sudden you have three forwards on just the one defender, sometimes two. And then you really use that numerical advantage very close to the net. And like you said, it's chaos ball. I mean, you're seeing lots of pucks just kind of bouncing around. But when you have numbers in front of the net, that's going to create chances. It's going to create things that you can't defend, that you can't adjust for, really, as a defense. You know, when you talk about a traditional 1-3-1 working around on the outside, like you said, the defense just gets to sit there in the middle, take away the cross-seam pass they know is coming, versus when you're throwing a puck to a net and you've got three-on-ones in front, What's that defender supposed to do? You can't plan for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that's something I'd really like to see the Kraken try. I think that'd be a great match for the personnel that they have, especially bringing in guys like Oliver Bjorkstrand, having Jaden Schwartz healthy, guys that can drive the net, Yanni Gord, and find those loose pucks. And maybe a guy like Matty Beneers who can creatively throw them on net uh, and create those chances off the goalie or, or find areas to work with. And I just think that's a much better, uh, much better setup than what the Kraken are doing, given their personnel. Yeah, no, I agree. That's That sounds totally legit to me. And I think that teams could have real success with it. Um, again, it, it addresses all of the things. You're taking advantage of having more players on the ice. That's, again, what the whole point of the power play is. Um, I think in a situation like that, you're going to tire out the, the defenders too. That PK unit... You know, maybe they're not going to be tired physically, but they're going to be tired mentally because anytime, you know, you're a defenseman or you're, you know, somebody on the PK and it's just that chaos in front, that is the most stressful moment in all of hockey, right? If, if you're the, if you're the defending team in that situation, you're, you're tiring out the goaltender, but you're mentally tiring out these guys because you are just having to react. You're not able to plan anything. You're trying to take in as much information as possible. Your eyes are as wide as possible. You're trying to find the puck. You're, you're just seeing a bunch of sticks hacking away at it. You're trying to figure out who's or who's, right? You're just trying to clear it. There is no way for you to be calm and collected in that moment. And anytime you're not calm and collected in any situation in life, much less sports, it's, it's emotionally tiring. It's emotionally draining, Right. And so any sort of game, especially if you're able to get like four or five power plays in a game and you do that significantly through each of them, by the end of that game, that, that you know, that by the by the time of that fourth or fifth power play, that PK unit is going to be so exhausted from trying to deal with it mentally that they're just not going to be there and they're going to make mental mistakes and stuff. And they're going to be overthinking it at that point. Cause every time they go back to the bench, they're going to be trying to think of something or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you, if you can't wear them out physically, wear them out mentally because it's just as good essentially. Right. And so <laughs> I think that that would be like a hidden benefit. I'm just trying to think of it from like a, how would I defend against it? That that's like the primary concern I would have is just that it would be so mentally taxing and frantic to deal with it time in and time out over the course of a two-minute power play, much less multiple power plays in a, in a period. It would just be a lot, and it would be very overwhelming. So, yeah, bes besides being overwhelming numerically and all that kind of stuff, I think it would be overwhelming for them in the other way, too, and I think that's really, really cool. And for the goalie, too, because... Yep. 
it takes away a lot of situations where he can square up. Yep. When you give a goalie situations that he doesn't really have a lot of control over, that can be mentally exhausting too. And it can take some of the best goalies out of things. You know, yes. if you're in a playoff series where it looks like, hey, this goalie on the other side is just going to steal something from you, uh, you know, stealing games, creating these kind of chaotic situations, that's the way that you beat a goalie like that. So it, it can have benefits there too. Um, yeah, and then um, there was one more thing I was going to mention with it. I don't. Oh yeah, how to defend it? Mm -hmm. I guess you just have to be really aggressive on the puck carrier, but that can open up a lot of things for the yes. power play as well. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's it's kind of you have to be high risk, re high reward, because uh, if you do sit back, which a lot of PKs like to do now, mm -hmm. you know, w when you're used to that one three one, if you do sit back, you're just going to have consistent numerical disadvantages in front of your net. It kind of forces you to be more aggressive and get out of your comfort zone. Right. Forces you to to you know get tired uh, and. And again, right, if you are going to be aggressive on the puck carrier, it's kind of like what I was talking about with the overload. Well, now you, you've you made it a four-on-three elsewhere because you've got, you've, you're having to commit one defender to the puck carrier. Four-on-three, I mean, is there anything more likely to lead to a goal than a four-on-three advantage, right? Like, because there's just so much time and space and things going on that are, that are possible in those situations that aren't possible five-on-five. Um, we tend to see those end in scores a lot. So, uh, yeah, it, it would be a very tough thing to defend. Like I said, your best options are, you know, yes, there, there would be power plays where it would it would seem easy, right? Because the rebound, you're just able to jump on the rebound and clear it. And the other team's got to go back, chase it, reset up, all that stuff. You're killing 20, 25 seconds every time that happens, right? So in that sense, there would be times where it would seem easily defended, but I still think that you'd be able to kind of consistently, you know, 20 to 25% of the time, be able to make something happen if you're the power play team, uh, the team up on the power play. Uh, as you talked about the goaltender, yeah, goalie has to tr deal with trying to tr track it through all the traffic, stay up on it. What's the, what's the goalie going to have to do? Going to have to be in butterfly, take away the lower part of the net because everybody's just jamming at that puck opens up the top of the net. If that puck squirts out to one of those guys on the power play a little further out, they're able to take a wrist or get it up high. Goaltender's not in the best situation to deal with that too. So it's, um, it is a very interesting one or it get you know, it kind of squirts out from net front goaltenders dealing with standing up, trying to track it, maybe move, trying to square up on it, not going to be in the best spot for it. Uh, certainly not going to be able to rebound control, whatever shot comes after that. And then you're just right back in it again, um, dealing with that loose puck up front. So that sounds really interesting. I can't wait to read that article and we will for sure put that link in the description on the, the YouTube video. It sounds really cool. Yes. Everyone give that a read. Highly recommend and follow Jack Hahn on Twitter. He's a good yes. follow for hockey tactics. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so those are just kind of some ideas that are different from what has become the norm in the NHL from what we know doesn't really work, especially for this Kraken team uh, that struggled mightily on the power play. And there were plenty of games where I think we can all pretty much universally agree the power play is probably what cost us a win uh, just because we'd have multiple man advantages, not be able to take advantage of them. And then lo and behold, you lose by one. Right. And that's, that's the difference right there. Um, so yeah, I, I just think it's a really important aspect of this game. It's, it's something that is so unique to hockey. The idea that, Oh, when an infraction occurs, the opposing team gets two minutes of having an extra player on the playing surface. Like that's, 
that's crazy. I mean, I guess it's similar in hockey, in uh, soccer, I guess, right? When one guy gets like red carded and off the field or whatever. But like even still, it feels like it's much more impactful uh, on hockey and a smaller surface. All that kind of stuff can make a, a bigger deal. And so I just want the Kraken to, I want the Kraken to do well, RJ. And doing well on yes. the power play is kind of one of those things you have to do if you want to be a good team. That's, you know, long story short, that's it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the bottom line. I mean, the power play just has to be better. And, and uh, hopefully with all the changes, you know, not just in personnel, but in coaching, you know, you bring in Dave Lowry. I don't know. Something. I, I would hope something would change. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to training camp to see, you know, what it is that changes and, and you know, what they're planning to do. Yeah, well, what if they come out in training camp with something super, super cool, RJ? And then we're stuck in the situation of do we report on it and give it away before the season starts? We need it to take advantage of the Ducks. That's true. All right, everyone, let us know which of the which what you want us to do. Do you want us to tell you about it and report on it so they can find out uh, or not? So yeah. <laughs> let us know in the comments. I know. Last thing we want to be is is saboteurs, RJ. <laughs> Don't want to be spies for the rest of the league. We'll just be like, hey. Their power play stuff is really cool. Yeah. It's, it's looking good. Yeah, but then that that would get other people to want to send spies. See, you have to be like, wow, they're doing some, they're, they, you know, we all know the power play was, was rough last year. They're trying some new things, but ugh, I don't know. We're going to have to just wait and see how this works out. You got to really kind of downplay it a little bit. That's the way. Okay. So if we, if we downplay anything during training camp, everybody... That's, that's what you know to pay we attention. <laughs> that's what to pay attention to. Um, okay, so I, I brought it up again there, uh, talking about taking advantage of the Ducks. And as we segue into the end of the podcast here, uh, this is my question for everybody before the next one. Then we, me and RJ will give uh, our, our opinions on it next time. And that is, what wins in a fight, RJ? A Kraken, a single Kraken, because the okay. team name is Kraken, not Krakens or Crack Eye. Uh, which sounds terrible. Um, uh, or a, a paddling of ducks. A, a paddling, paddling, of, a paddling ducks. of ducks being a group of ducks. Uh, so I, I don't know. It, it kind of depends on how many ducks we're talking about here. Probably not as many as like a million or something, but I feel like to make this a, a fun thought experiment, it has to be more than like five or six ducks. So let's say like a hundred ducks versus a kraken. I feel like we should make it more ducks, really. I, I There's some sneaky things, and I, as much as I hate like kind of taking the opposing team's side, you'll all hear why I kind of feel like the ducks have a decent shot at this in the next podcast. Okay. So, so there's that. But yeah, what, 500 ducks, 1,000 ducks? What, what do we want to make it? Like 1,000 ducks uh, seems, I guess, reasonable. If all the ducks got together to go fight a Kraken, you could get you know yeah. multiple paddlings together. I think that's about the size of the army the ducks would bring if they were to go fight a kraken let's go a thousand ducks versus one kraken all right thousand ducks versus a kraken let us know in the comment section on youtube come at us on discord twitter let us know who you think would win in that fight and we will give uh, our opinions next time like i said i've got some duck facts maybe everybody's not quite ready for and it's a reason why we should you know be wary and and we need to treat zegris and mctavish seriously Okay, these two situations as, apply to each other. As we all know, Zegris and McTavish have the same anatomy and thought processes of, of ducks. <laughs> it's it's yeah, just I, what happens. 
All right, just save save the duck facts for next episode, Dylan. You're already throwing them on us right now. Yeah, it was like Joe Thornton hanging around with the sharks for so long, you know, just being this prehistoric machine that's just really good at one thing and just <laughs> does it consistently, right? It's just the way it was. <laughs> All right, I can't argue with that. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. Hope you had fun. And, and you know, don't just let us know your thoughts on that. Please let us know your thoughts on the power play. What would you like to see the Kraken maybe try and experiment with? Uh, if you thought, you know, one of our ideas was ridiculous, of course, let us know that. We always love reading those comments. Uh, those are sometimes the, the funnest of them all. And um, the jerseys, because I am really curious. Again, you're free, you, you have free reign to make an NHL sweater. What are you doing to it? Like, get creative. I, re I really want to know that. Maybe we'll do a video about that one day. Like, like kind of like we That'd did with the mascot thing. contest. It would be really cool to design like a Kraken third jersey. That might be something we're yeah. going to have to write down, put on a post-it note next to my monitor for next off season. That could be really cool. So uh, let us know your thoughts on all of that stuff. And uh, until then, we'll see you all next time.